Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. All right, welcome everyone to another edition of New Books in Education on the New Books Network. Today I'm excited to be uh, interviewing the author of Working World Careers in International Education, Exchange, and Development. Uh, and the author that's joining me today is Dr. Sherry Mueller, and she also co wrote this book with Mark Overman. And this is from Georgetown University Press. And both the authors have extensive background in international education and exchange, uh, which, which we'll get into uh, when we bring on the authors. And so I really like this book because th- this is something that I'm interested in personally. Uh, developing a career, I think, is important for uh, this specific field. And I think there's been a lot of changes recently uh, that maybe people aren't aware of or aren't sure of. And so I'm excited to kind of talk about uh, some of those changes and, and kind of get an ex- expert's advice in the field who has a lot of experience. And so I hope all of the listeners and new books in education uh, are thinking of that as well. So without further ado, uh, Sherry, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. And uh, Sherry, my, my first question is uh, a, lot of, a lot of the book is sort of your experiences and bringing those out. Uh, Same with Mark, uh, your co-author. So maybe if you can just talk briefly about sort of how you got into international education, exchange and development yourself. Uh, And then maybe if if you want to mention a a little bit of Mark, um, I I know he's not here today, but um, yourself and then slightly with Mark as well, maybe how you guys got together uh, for that as well. Sure. I'm I'm delighted to do that, Ryan. Um, I was a farm kid from northern Illinois with nothing international in my background, but lucky enough to do my undergrad work where I'm teaching now at American University School of International Service. And there, one of my professors said, don't waste these summers, you know, participate in an exchange program. And I found an experiment in international living program in Germany went on that way back in 1963, lived with the German family that summer, Mm -hmm. and it was one of those transformational, eye-opening experiences that are so characteristic, I think, of those of us who work in the field of international ed. Mm -hmm. Just uh, for your information, I had my 20th reunion Uh with my German sister last summer. Very nice. So um, at that stage, I didn't... Uh, have in mind a career in the field yet. It was just kind of, I was young, well, what is the next step? I had a group leader, so I thought, well, I want to lead a group for the experiment. And I subsequently did uh, to the Soviet Union back in 1969. I took a group of college students there. Had, again, an extraordinary time, and that led to graduate work at the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy. Mm -hmm. And Eventually, this whole concept of wanting to make these incredible first-hand experiences available to other people, and that's how the 
my cause developed and and my career developed and I was just lucky enough to find a series of opportunities that really fit uh, those interests right right and I also one of the pivotal books in my background was um, the Ugly American, mm-hmm. and as a child of the Cold War, it was really important to project a, a positive image of the United States. I remember I, I wrote about that in my graduate school, um, you know, admissions essay, yeah. and wound up doing that over over many years, and now I'm teaching about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark had a series of interesting experiences. Uh, went to Notre Dame as an undergrad, um, studied in France, even though he was an English major, uh, did some teaching in China. And one of the fun parts of the book is um, his search for, as he put it, what in the hell am I going to do with my life? And the pressure he felt from right. his parents to make some decisions mm-hmm. uh, about it. Uh, we happened to meet uh, I was giving a lecture on public diplomacy at American University, um, and he was in the School of International Service getting his master's degree, and he just came to that lecture, came up to me afterwards. It was a classic case of networking. Yeah. Uh, talked to me about what, in fact, he narrates this in the book, yeah. uh, about what he was particularly interested in. That led to an internship at the organization where I served as president, and I really discovered we worked so well together that initially the book came out of my desire to keep him at NCIV. (laughs) I didn't realize until we started working together the incredible value that the intergenerational dialogue brought to the topics we were addressing. But it wasn't until we were sitting at my dining room table, you know, going back and forth about how we felt about the various topics that I thought, wow, this is so much better than I could ever do by myself. Right. Um, yeah. So it, it, it was, it was a really exciting process to work, to work with him. And I think if you co-author a book, um, you know, that synergy has to be there to really make the product engaging to the reader. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and, and you kind of talked about, uh, or, uh, the intercultural or sorry, intergenerational, uh, mm-hmm. sort of the, the perspective that that brings together. Maybe if, if you could, uh, talk a little bit about, this is the second edition and just came out this year. So a very recent book, but you, you also had a version that came out in 2008 and you, you know, we might not think how much of a difference between 2008 uh-huh. and 2014 is, but with LinkedIn, Twitter and, and Facebook and all the other, online media that we've seen, social networking, these other things, uh, there's dramatically different ways to do some of these things. So can you maybe just mention how you guys sort of navigated those differences and updates from from that previous edition? Sure. I I think it's important to say that the fundamental structure of the book stayed the same. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons it was really fun to work on the second edition is we have to make those decisions about the structure. The first part of the book remained a philosophy, a way of thinking about your career, right. um, not as a series of jobs, but as a set of decisions about what you do with your life. And mm-hmm. we continued the process of profiling people that we admired with very different career paths. Yep. 
um, who answered the same questions we answered in the first part of the book. How did they figure out their cause? What were their networking tips? How did they have a mentor? Um, and then the last part of the book, you know, is structured so that if you're particularly interested in, you know, what professional associations should I join or if I want to work for the U.S. government, how do I go about it? The fundamental structure stayed the same. We just really elaborated on it and added some sections, as you indicated. Um, one of the huge differences is the role social media now mm -hmm. play in job searches that when we were writing, and if it was published in 08, we were writing in 07, it was a very different environment. And I think we not only talk about how social media can be very helpful, but also the perils it presents if you don't understand that what's out there, you know, current employer or your potential employers will be checking you out mm -hmm. um, on social media. So um, I think that whole social media piece is important. Mm -hmm. uh, the economic environment changed dramatically. Right. In fact, it's a lot harder to get a job now. There are many more applications for the various jobs than there were in 07 when we went to press. Mm. Um, another piece is that both of us have made major changes in our career lives and our career trajectories. And so there's a section in the second edition on how do you know when it's time to make the move? Mm. Whether you're in a more advanced phase of your career, for example, I left the big 24-7 job of being president of an NGO, mm -hmm. and I'm now teaching part-time at, at a university. Right. Mark just became deputy director of the Alliance for International Educational and Cultural Exchange. He's been there a while, uh, but uh, he was not there at the point at which we wrote the first book. So we've both been through some changes and realize in this environment how important it is to help people think through some of the considerations to keep in mind, assessing whether they're ready, whether it's time. Yeah. Um, and one other thing that we stress more in the second edition than we did in the first is the nature of professionalism. Mm. I mean, Young people are often admonished, you know, act like a professional. Mm -hmm. Well, what does that really mean? What does it translate into for a veteran manager like me? How does it feel to somebody like Mark at an earlier stage in his career? Because in those intervening five years, I think we both encountered situations where we thought, gosh, that's not professional behavior. You know, mm -hmm. who's teaching young people these days what it means? Right. to be a professional. Right. So those are kind of those main four differences. Okay. Very good. And yeah, I think they're sprinkled throughout the book, uh, very nicely. Uh, and let's maybe jump into some of those earlier chapters, uh, and sort of the structural, uh, things that, that were in, in the original book. And, and I think you mentioned a little bit when you were kind of talking about your, uh, sort of biography, but, can you talk about sort of uh, identifying your cause and, and what this kind of chapter represents or, or why is this important for someone going into this kind of career? Well, one of the things I should say immediately, Ryan, is this book is for idealists. Mm. This book is for young people or mid-career people who want to change the world. <laughs> it's, not, right. it's not for people who want to have pink marble in their bathrooms necessarily. Yeah. Um, but... I think if you look at some of the literature on the millennials, 
uh, they do want to change the world. John Zogby calls them first globals. Mm -hmm. And um, I think one of the ways we phrase it is, what is your cause? I, I often, when I'm talking, you know, giving presentations on careers, I'll phrase it, what is your calling? Mm -hmm. And I define calling as that place where your greatest passion and the world's greatest need intersect. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you figure out where that is? What do you look for? Do you, you know, just pay attention to the articles you go to first in the paper every day? Do you, or online every day? Do you, you know, whom do you admire and why? And mm -hmm. when you're in the presence of somebody and you're looking at them, you think, gosh, I'd like to do what they do. That actually happened to me. Right. Uh, I happened to meet the one of my predecessors at NCIV, which, by the way, is now called Global Ties. Mm. And I thought, I was in his office, and I thought, I would like to have his job. That's <laughs> fascinating. Okay. Motivating Americans to host international visitors, to learn more about the world, to become more culturally and politically sensitive. How cool is that? Mm -hmm. And about... I guess uh, maybe 12, 15 years later, I wound up with this job. <laughs> so it's important. Uh, and we talk about, you know, paying attention to those things that really captivate your attention. Right. Um, and then finding organizations that have missions that match your causes. Mm -hmm. Because I think whether you look at, um, you know, Daniel Pink, who wrote a book about motivation called Drive, um, it's, it's, when you're serving something, a cause larger than yourself, um, when you're really feeling that you're contributing to making a difference in the world, I think that we're the happiest with our careers, at least if we're the idealistic type that Mark and I were targeting as our readers for this particular book. Right. Absolutely. And I, and me personally, I've had sort of this phrase that I, that I learned my freshman year of college, one of the first weeks of college that I sort of always thought about is uh, be a part of something bigger than you, but better yes. because of you. And uh, I, I've, I've always loved that little quote. And I was one of the first people who identified in college. He was like an upperclassman and he was like the president of the student body. And I was like, this guy is somebody I want to try to yeah. model my career after, um, which we can talk about a, a little bit in, in the mentor section. Um, but first, can, can we go into, because this is one of my favorite sections of the book, was the the art of networking. Now you, you're a, you're a young person, you or, or a mid career person. You've identified your cause. You want to go after something, but how do you how do you get your foot in the door? How do you meet that person? How does that how does your resume get on top? And I think this uh, the art of networking uh, is something that we that people always talk about, but actually doing it can be so stressful for a lot of people, or maybe an impossibility for some people. So can you talk about some of the strategies uh, or, or some of the philosophies that you, that you guys have in this chapter? Sure. Um, a number of things to emphasize. Certainly in my own life, joining professional associations, in my case, the International Studies Association would mm -hmm. be a good example. But joining professional associations that expose you to the leaders in the field you wish to be working in that expose you to the main issues that are, you know, au courant in that field. Mm -hmm. um, I, and to attend events, to volunteer, to help with events. 
One little tip, which um, I see play out again and again, is always have the first question ready. You might be attending a lecture. Right. And um, there's always that pause. And someone will say, are there any questions? And it's really useful to to bring one up, identify yourself, bring one up. It really gives people in the room a sense of who you are and that you were listening and that you care about this issue. Mm -hmm. And it gives you an excuse to go up afterwards to the speaker and ask some more questions. Right. Or another tiny tip, you're, I always encourage people, you're at a big networking event, don't try to t have 30 conversations of 30 seconds each with 30 people. Mm -hmm. Find one or two people that you really have substantive conversations with mm. um, to really make a lasting connection. Right. It's easy to go to networking events and not accomplish much, just give out a lot of cards. But um, having a, a network, I mean, the art of networking implies that you have, and it it's a quality issue, not a quantity issue. Mm -hmm. You have a set of people who really understand your skills and capabilities. They care about your career. And the reverse is true, by the way. One mm -hmm. of my, my best mentors uh, at a, you know, now and again would ask me for advice, even though I was much his junior. Mm -hmm. And um, he was certainly the senior person in the mentoring relationship. Right. So... Uh, just to get back to your networking events, sure. um, suppose I'm here in Washington. So suppose you're at an embassy and everybody's crowding around to talk to the ambassador. Well, it might be easier and you might have the same uh, opportunity to get to know about people and possible positions by talking to one of his staff members yep. who isn't nearly as besieged by people as, as she is or he is. Mm -hmm. um, so the book contains these, what I would call little hints, but they can make a big difference in how valuably, uh, how valuable the time is that you spend engaging in this amorphous process called networking. Right. A couple of other thoughts. Um, one has to do with record keeping. And yes. I assume you probably have a, an electronic database of your network, so to speak, people you can call on. Right. I mean, it might be a so it might be connections on LinkedIn, but in this case, I'm talking about um, more people who are in closer, who really do know you very, very well. Mm -hmm. And as you get to know people, if they hand you a business card, um, it's really important to. Just note whether you do that electronically or you do it the old-fashioned way on a business card um, with your pen in hand. But where did you meet them? Under what circumstance? Did they say anything that stuck with you? Because mm -hmm. if they have a job six months from now and you can write in your cover letter, I met so-and-so who, and we discussed this book in the field, that will catch somebody's attention. It's a specific item. Right. Um, and so that it's important to keep good records of people you meet. I mean, years ago I met Senator Fulbright um, and luckily did become friends with him over time. But I was thinking if I'd followed my advice, a year, my own advice years ago, 
it was really quite extraordinary the number of people I ran into over over time. But your memory is always a bit more infallible, uh, is a bit more fallible than right. you think it is. Yeah. And you may think, oh, that was such a memorable, memorable conversation. But unless you uh, make some notes, it will it can elude you pretty fast. And the other thing, if you're actually in the throes of job hunting, as several of my friends are right now, I really recommend um, establishing a support group. I think mm. job hunting is a very lonely activity. Right. And it's very helpful, uh, as I did career roundtables years ago, and I can describe them a little bit to you because that's really the origin of the book. Okay. Um, I would encourage people who were in the conference room at IIE or at NCIV who were roughly the same age looking for the same type of job to meet for coffee once a week, go over each other's resumes as they were searching. Um, you know, whether you're using idealist.org as a job search engine or whether you're perusing Monday developments uh, on the interaction website, you know, you're not only looking for jobs for you, you're looking for opportunities for other people in your support group. Right. And it just gives you um, greater scope, greater range, and you realize you're not the only person who is facing um, challenging competition. Right. Absolutely. And uh, I just got to say, I'm very jealous that you were personal friends and, and got to meet uh, uh, Senator Fulbright, uh, some of his writing and, and, and other things. And obviously the, the program that he created uh, sort of has inspired me as I've gone on uh, in, in my career as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm very jealous of that. Uh, second of all, the, the, the networking advice on the in the chapter, when you're talking about you probably get all these cards and think you know these people, but then you probably take those cards and put them in some box somewhere. And I'm reading this and I just like look over and there's like, you know, <laughs> I have a box of cards and who knows who, who are it, who the people right, are. In it. Right. So I, I'm going to personally, I'm going to start doing a better job and I think I'll probably try to make it in, in uh, like a Google doc where one thing I'm not sure Mark and I even got in the book, but I've thought about subsequently, or I found myself advising people subsequently, is that um, the power of follow-up, and we do talk about it. Right. Um, and one discipline to think of is suppose you're at a networking event. We'll use our embassy example. Just take one of those cards and write a follow-up note to mm -hmm. that person saying, I was happy to meet you and that we discussed uh, the book about Senator Fulbright, whatever the discussion was, mm -hmm. um, because I gaily give out cards, and you would be surprised at how few people have the discipline to follow up. Right. And there is a fairly large section uh, in the book on how to say thank you, which mm -hmm. you would think would be obvious. Right. But I spent many years um, hiring people, and you would be startled by the numbers who don't follow up after an interview. I think we're getting smarter about that, but I still think the admonition, and I think you kind of cover all bases. I always encourage people to send a formal letter, but to send it by email with a, a you know, in the subject line item, hard copy to follow. Then use the good old U.S. Post Office, send that hard copy with a little handwritten note. Um, so that the effort you put into crafting 
a really good thank you that references the fact some of the things you discussed in the interview and the some of the points perhaps your interviewer made. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you make that effort, but that effort will really make you stand out from the crowd. Absolutely. And you don't know whether that, depending on the age or the generation, you know, I got so I appreciated both the promptness of a quick email afterwards, but if they followed up with an actual hard copy with a little personal handwritten something on it, well, that blew me away because that said they'll make that kind of effort for the organization. Mm, very good. Yeah, and I think there was another, I think maybe in potentially Mark, one of Mark's uh, chapters or, or sections, and he said that he had resumes that were in the maybe pile, and if they got a nice thank you letter, that resume might go into the, the inter- interview pile. Yep. Which which I think is also important because that you know, getting that foot in the door for the interview is something some people just think is sort of an impossibility, especially when we're talking about some of these organizations that get just berated with, with all kinds of uh, resumes for any job opening. Yeah. Well, that's why the networking piece is so important. And I can give you just an example from the other day. Mark sent me, um, there's an opening at the Alliance. They already have 200 mm. applications. But he knows I teach at our mutual alma mater, and he's, he just sent me the position description, and he said, do you have, um, you know, are any of your former students possibilities? Mm. And I sent off the position description to two of my students. One of them immediately followed up. Uh, Mark wrote back to me, emailed me back. He said, what do you know about Chris? He says, you know, you were his capstone advisor. I said, yes, I was. He's outstanding. He definitely deserves an interview. Mm. Classic example of how networking works. Absolutely. And how it's important. One of the other things that we spend a little bit more time on um, in the new edition, too, is the value of references Mm. and how you choose them and how employers view them. Right, right. And I think, I mean, these real-world examples are kind of an advantage in the book because you're seeing the behind the scenes of what people are thinking when they're sort of looking at resumes or looking at applications or, or putting out position postings because you, you guys have are in, you're in the, uh, you're in the field, right? You, you know what's going on. And so, you know, for any young person or mid career person looking for a position, these are stories that maybe they're not going to be able to hear in just, you know, reading uh, a textbook or some other thing like that. Yeah. Well, Ryan, one of my very favorite ones, and I don't know whether you picked it out, but is the story of Frank, mm. because it's it's part of what I refer to as you're always on. Oh, yes. That right. the moment in which we think we get a job is not necessarily the moment we actually get it. Mm-hmm. And I use the story of a wonderful intern uh, we had at NCIV, and he was, uh, I always tried to spend a lot of time with our interns because it's, I always learned a lot from them, but we prided ourselves on giving them a really good experience, not just in our office, but a broader view of the field. Right. And so he was going with me to a dinner in Alexandria, and we got into a terrible traffic jam. Ah, uh, yes. And we had a chance to visit 
probably for over an hour. And I got to ask him, you know, what you learn from teaching English in China? What was that like? Mm-hmm. Um, and he had done some amazing outward bound things as well. And we really had a chance in the middle of the traffic jam um, to interact. And I thought, wow, this is an impressive young man. Mm-hmm. Uh, six weeks later, I had an opening. Mm-hmm. And guess who got the job? And he probably got the job in my old Mustang convertible <laughs> the night we drove to Alexandria. Right. The, right. By then, the interview, the actual interview that we conducted was a formality because I was so impressed mm-hmm. with the conversation we had and the values he embraced and also how he behaved as an intern in the interim six weeks. Right, right. And so, you know, a good, good story. You can at least show there's – Maybe one good reason for for the traffic jams down there. Uh, <laughs> Frank was able to to get to get that position, but no, I think again you're, you're always on. Uh, yeah. You you don't know who's watching you when you're at some event. So, and I think that maybe goes back to some of the professionalism that uh, you have to to look at. Maybe the the millennial generation or the younger generation, and they have to know that you know you you're always being uh, evaluated. To, to some degree, I yes. would say. Yes. Uh, so that's definitely um, a, a definitely good lesson in, in, this, in this book as well. Uh, but moving along, how about uh, this this other section, which I think also maybe a lot of people don't really think about that much when they're searching for a career or, or a foot in the door is um, the the value the value of a mentor, or you know, mm-hmm. why do you need a mentor, and then what really does that mean for for this career, for this career path? Well, I think a mentor is someone who knows you very well, and you usually wind up, they, they happen, although I have had people literally um, call me up or come see me in an informational interview and say, would you be willing to mentor me? You know, I'll bring a cappuccino once a month for a few months, mm-hmm. and will you just help me? sort through some of the career choices I'm making and let me know if I'm applying to an organization that has a sketchy uh, reputation or, you know. Um, so in my own life, mentors have been incredibly important. Right. Some, I and I talk about Bill Olson, who was the dean of the School of International Service, and he and I and some other alumni at AU worked together to establish an alumni association for the school. And in the process of doing that, I really got to know Bill. He really got to know me. And he was the kind of mentor who would say, Sherry, do you want to be a member of the Cosmo Club? Mm. Would you like to have an article in my next uh, book? Um, I'm sure from Bill, that's where the impetus came from to invite Mark to co-author the book. I had somebody that I looked to. I admired him tremendously. I wanted to emulate him to an extent. He was the one who said back in the 80s, would you like to teach a course at AU? And I did. And now, because I had that experience, it was easy to go back to the teaching at AU in this later part of my career. So he had a profound impact on my my career, and he was also a sounding board. There were some perhaps salary issues or human relations 
um, human resource issues, I couldn't discuss with anyone else within my own organization. But I could describe them to Bill, and he could say, well, have you thought about that? Have you asked for advice from this person? Have you told the person you're concerned about A, B, or C? Uh, he really took a very strong interest in my career in the overall trajectory of it, but he was also very helpful in the day-to-day nitty-gritty if I felt, gosh, do I, do I really want to move on now, or is this just a bad time? I would just have a confidential conversation with him. Right. And he was, I I think all of us need people we admire. We may not exactly want their set of tasks. It was not my goal to be a dean of a school particularly. Mm -hmm. But I admired the example he set and the way he worked with people and how he elicited um, cooperation from diverse constituents mm. and how he negotiated things within the university. So he really was a very strong role model, and I was just lucky enough that that he enjoyed playing that role. And I think to some extent I've modeled myself after him uh, over time, and, and maybe in a small way Mark is doing that with me now. Yeah, uh, it's 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 interesting. Because he started out not at all being conscious of the fact that he had a mentor or he didn't necessarily seek one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but over the years, he's come to understand the role that people still nonetheless play in your life. And I think ultimately, he really realized the role his own dad had played to to an extent, too. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Yeah, I, in his chapter, he was, and, and maybe I, I was sort of, was connecting with that as well. He mentioned like the Seinfeld skit or the, the, yes. the scene that it was an episode where a woman had a mentor. Uh, and he has a nice little quote in there, but talking about really like, you know, maybe we don't really realize that as sort of young professionals, like that, maybe that's for kids or that's a really yeah. young person game. We don't really realize that, no, this is someone that you can really look to for the, really the rest of your career. Uh, and, and always sort of say, you know, what would that person do? Or, you know, can I sort of map or do something in, in, in a similar way? Uh, so I think it's important for, for anyone to, to really have, and, and you guys illustrate that well. In this well, one of the things that I think is really true is that in the process of writing the book, um, we illustrate what, what has to happen in the workplace. Mm. You know, I think older workers have an institutional memory. They have a wealth of experience to bring to the table. Um, And young people have that technological dexterity and energy and new ways, new perspectives on things. And it's the meshing of that Mm. that provides a vibrant workplace. And so I, I like the fact that the book illustrates really what has to happen um, in the workplace as well as in your job search. Mm-hmm. Very, very good. Uh, so I guess moving, you know, moving forward on the book, and I think this one is, is again, is something that when you think of a master's student or, or for myself, a PhD student, that the final step is getting that PhD and then boom, there's your, you know, now you're done. The, the journey's over. But as you guys illustrate here and talk about, this is a continuous journey. Your career is a continuous journey, I think, until, until you mention that you retire. And then even then, you might have some aspects that that journey is still moving forward. So can you, can you talk about that a little bit 
uh, how you guys convey that, uh, that idea in the book? Well, I think we talk a lot about um, understanding the trade-offs. Mm-hmm. Um, every career choice um, precludes um, other choices. Mm-hmm. And it's really important to see your career as a trajectory, as it's not just a sequence of jobs. It's a series of choices that you make that hopefully let you work in environments where you feel you're really able to make change, where you really enjoy the people you work with, and where you love the tasks you do on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so often I think we get hung up, how much are they going to pay me? And that's important. I'm keenly aware of the debts some of my students have, so I I don't minimize it. But, um, you know, what do they call you? How much are they going to pay you? And the real questions are, you know, are you working for somebody who cares whether you grow or not? Mm. And are they going to help you find next best place um, in that sequence of jobs that comprise your career mm-hmm. um, and the impact that you have in those jobs. Right. I, I think that's, that's awfully important. Right. Right. And, th- and there's another great, you know, we're, we're going pop, pop cultural references, uh, the, the office space, uh, yes. the, the quote where, where the, the guy asked him what, you know, if you had a million dollars, what would you do? And all his friends sort of have some ideas, and he just says, I would do nothing. Uh, but Mark, you know, he, he talks about how he kind of thought about that, and what would he do? Uh, and I, I think that's a good lesson for really anybody, and, and it sort of goes into what you were talking about. You know, what impact are you making, or what impact is your organization? Do they care about what you're sort of thinking? Uh, these, these are all issues that you're, you're constantly having to think of. Um, there's a, there's, I forget the, the gentleman's name. I think he was the, in charge of the, the World Bank, uh, currently. Fayez Chowdhury. Right. And, and he, in his, uh, he has a, a great story that he worked all the way up in this, in this law firm. Yes. And he, he worked, you know, some days, 24 hours a day, his wife would drop him off at a subway and he would come get out of the subway the next, the, literally the next day. And he worked his way up and he, and he got to be, partner and he walks into to his boss's office and he says uh good job your your partner now and that was it and he was thinking like what you know that that's it i feel like we, there should yeah. be some sort of celebration or something and then he's, he's walking out the door the boss says hey you're not the only partner you know saying like watch your yeah. back or something he's like i just worked so hard to get here i'm at the pinnacle of where i've been trying to be this entire time and yeah. this is how it's, you know, now I'm moving on even further. I have to work even harder. He's like, it's time yeah. for me to move on. It, it's, it's sort of, I think one of, at one point in the um, interview, he said, it's just the bottom rung of another ladder. Mm. And um, I, I really enjoyed conducting some of the interviews and also um, just the lessons that were distilled one of the things that I think readers probably find reassuring about some of the profiles in, in both the first and second edition, and we had almost all new profiles in the second edition, um, you know, the, the person profiled would say, my career was a series of accidents, mm. or I didn't know in the beginning. 
And I certainly feel that way because if I look, if you look at my resume, Ryan, you would, it looks like every single thing I did led to serving as president of NCIB and now teaching cultural diplomacy. But it didn't feel that way at the time. (laughs) At the time, it was kind of random and wow, this sounds good right now. Um, So sometimes it's in retrospect where a career takes on a coherence. Mm -hmm. Is obvious later, but is not obvious as you're trying desperately to say, okay, what is the right next decision for me? And how do I evaluate these various alternatives? I I think that's absolutely reassuring uh, for for a lot of people who might be getting out of school or maybe looking to switch over careers or to get a new career, new job, things like that thinking like, well, mine doesn't really match up and this doesn't really go there. And, and, and I think you even mentioned one of your very first internships that you had sort of had some connection way down the line with, with uh, a position. Um, and it was, things were always sort of coming back uh, into the fold and just sort of eventually kind of made sense for, for whatever reason. And, and maybe right. we, just, we just work that way uh, where it is almost an accident or it is an accident really. Uh, so that's, yeah. a, that's a really- I, I find now young people have to be a lot more deliberate mm. in making their choices um, than I did. And Mark and I talk about that a little bit in right. terms of at the point at which I came out of grad school, it was kind of which job rather than will there be one yeah. I like. Right. That's- and so, you know, how to, how to really, um, deal with the challenges of the incredible competition that's out there. Right. Although these things are cyclical and they will change too. Right. Well, speaking of those, maybe let's get into some of those. Cause I think that's sort of what the second book kind of proposes are, are some of these things. And, and kind of one of the first ones you talk about are these professional uh, associations or organizations that uh, anyone can really join and become a part yes. of. Yes. And so tell me about some of those and, and why the, those are important for, for people to be joining. Well, I think they're particularly important because they expose you to the main issues mm-hmm. of the field as the leaders of the field articulate them. Uh, particularly, I think it's important to go to conferences, webinars, to really um, use this is continuing education. Right. And just to give you some examples, if some young person comes to me and says, I want a career in development, and I'll say, well, are you a member of the Society for International Development? Or someone says, I want to be a foreign student advisor. Well, are you a member of NAFSA, the Association mm-hmm. of International Educators? Right. Um, there's a professional association for almost everything. Right. And almost all of them have job boards. Just to give you an example, right. NAFSA has something called the Job Registry. It's very rich in opportunities. Um, so it's a way for you to learn about the field, continuing education, mm-hmm. but it's a way for people to learn about you as a young up-and-coming professional in the field because they get to know you. They, they get to know you because you present a paper or, or volunteer to in some way. So I really encourage um, even students to be part of the professional associations that reflect their current concept of what their cause is. Right. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I even, I was flipping through some of the, the listings because in the book, 
uh, to all the audience. Uh, they, they have a listing of these different organizations and they, they list their you know, Twitter uh, feed. They list uh, just a little bio about them, their website. Uh, so it's really great. And I, and I saw one and I was like, oh, I need to be a part of this one. And I, and I showed my wife as well. And she's like, oh, we got we to gotta join this. So both of us are, are, are going to uh, go join one of these groups that you've listed uh, in the back of your um, in the back of one of those chapters. But I think coming up to this, this other idea, talking about, um, you know, joining these organizations kind of goes right into, uh, this, this uh, internship, this idea of, of having an internship. We've talked about that a lot. I think in society today, a lot of the media has been taking, um, issue with sort of, you know, are interns getting paid or what are they getting out of it? And, you know, we've had legislation that has come out of this as well. So can you kind of talk about the importance of an internship and maybe specifically another question that that's always been on my mind and it's someone from Oklahoma and, you know, you know, you could probably relate to this as someone from uh, rural Northern Illinois, you know, if you're not on the East or West coast, if you're not in New York, you're not in DC, some of these internships, some of these associations, you really can't join, you really can't join the, the, these networks. So can you talk about sort of, um, how you can kind of get around those or some, uh, some advice on, on different organizations that you might be able to find if you're in these other areas. Okay. First of all, I think internships are extraordinarily important. Mm -hmm. From an employer's point of view, our internship pool at NCIV was a potential employee pool because we knew how they worked. We uh, remember the story of Frank. Yeah. We knew they know the culture. They know the way the internal communications and the computer folders are set up. Right. Um, they require much less training. Yep. So it's to the extent you can find internships and at, at NCIB now global ties, we always paid our interns minimum wage because we really felt if we're serious about diversity, mm -hmm. you have to pay. Absolutely. You can't, uh, so we worked hard, and I was lucky enough. I, ha I had a wonderful board member who, you know, I'd say, Larry, the intern fund is going down, and he would come up with a major contribution oh, wow. because he was so determined to give young people educational opportunities. Mm -hmm. So I do – and that being said, there are still a lot of unpaid internships in D.C. Yep. Mm -hmm. I think you also have to get creative. I had at least uh, several nieces and a nephew stay with me. I mean, you find family friends, you find ways to skip the housing costs. Mm. Uh, that's the time when, you know, the networking piece is important. Mm -hmm. um, there are opportunities, though, um, outside of Seattle and D.C. and New York and mm. San Francisco. Yeah. Um, and I think... It's important to look at organizations such as Global Ties. Mm -hmm. They consist of 89 organizations across the country. There are about 230 paid staff at those organizations, and many of them. I'm just thinking now of a colleague, Karina Black, in Reno, who is housed on the local university campus there. She has eight interns right. doing international work in Reno, Nevada. So there are some international opportunities, particularly on university campuses yep. and with certain NGOs, mm -hmm. perhaps Partners of the Americas, chapters, depending, you know, sister cities. Um, 
But I, that's why I think the chapter on the sources of internships and where some of the best internships are listed are good ones. And as I said, um, they really, uh, for the organization, are a pool of potential employees. If you do well in your internship, and over the years I've become friends with several of my interns and mentor them still. I mean, uh, right now our intern from 2000, one of them, is a professor of Russian at Georgetown. Very nice. And my intern from 2010, who went to Teachers College and got a master's in international education, mm-hmm. Brittany Link, is a dear friend who helps me with my IT challenges. <laughs> right now, she's working for a really dramatic social entrepreneurship organization called Think Impact mm-hmm. in South Africa. But internships can lead to mentors, good mentors. Mm-hmm. They they definitely lead to jobs often. Um, I'm amazed at how many internships, I mean, in my day, you maybe had one. Now young people have three, four, and five. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So they're they're essential. Um, One of the challenges, I I think, and I've heard several young friends say this, I'll I'll use my friend Brittany as an example. I know she wouldn't mind. She spent time in South Africa, in Nepal, in Albania, and a number of other places. And she said, one of the, sometimes I think, should I have concentrated on a region? Mm. Have I paid a price in terms of my employability by being as scattered? And yet she has incredible graphic design talents. Anybody who gets her is tremendously lucky. But it is interesting as I listen to my young friends debate some of the choices they've made. Right. And it just comes back to what you and I were talking about earlier, thinking of your career as a continuous journey and be, being conscious of choices you make on a daily basis, whether you're job hunting or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, your choice may be, do I join this professional association now, at this point in my career, where I am, and what might that lead to? Mm-hmm. So um, I, I do think thinking... Uh, being conscious of building a career um, along the way, not just when you're job hunting, is really, really important. Absolutely. And we, we point out there's a, one guy in the book that Mark talks about uh, who used to be on the board of NCIV who, who said, every day I peruse jobs just a little bit just to see what's out there, <laughs> even though I'm perfectly content where I am. Right, right. Very good. Very good. Uh, so we're, we're coming a little bit on the end, and I know I, I kind of am interested in this uh, area, the volunteer opportunities, because I do volunteer to do this podcast for the, the New Books Network, and I know you yourself have uh, some uh, a rich sort of background in volunteerism. So can you kind of talk about why, why that's important to a, to a career or to, to this kind of career? Well, I think it's... Many jobs in the field involve working with volunteers, and there's no better preparation for doing that than to be one yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I always, and one of the things I do want to sort of insert here, Ryan, is mm-hmm. that there is no um, what uh, career advice is a science is an art. It's not a science. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to see on resumes community service. Mm. And because it indicates 
the causes that a person embraces already and indicates that they're willing to go above and beyond. Um, so I, in our field, I think it's really important. You will have other people argue for terse resumes that only, you know, identify your professional skills. So mm. I think as a manager, one of the things that I find important is to be aware of my own prejudices I see. and what, you know, what affects my decisions if I hire someone or if I don't hire someone. And I try to articulate that a bit in, a bit in the book. Right. But I think volunteer work, if you can afford to do it, mm. you know, whether I think Peace Corps, for example, is a wonderful building block Absolutely. Uh, for an ex for, for your resume, for your career. I always encourage young people in particular to look at their resumes and the beginning of their careers. What are the building blocks? Mm -hmm. An intern in a congressional office. You know, that indicates that you can, you know, you know how presumably at least the federal government works. Um, you know, did you become a rotary uh, ambassador? Well, mm -hmm. that means you were vetted in a complex process. Mm -hmm. That's a nice building block on your resume. Same for Peace Corps volunteer, because there's a vetting process. Right. Just by the fact that that's on your resume says, Hey, you survived some really major screening things. Absolutely. If you completed your assignment, you know, <laughs> You have certain skills that that come from that, right? And again, the vol I think one of the important aspects of the volunteer is this can be this isn't geographic centered. You know, this is some things that you can do in any location in the country or in the world, especially. So I think that's another nice aspect of, of thinking about um, adding that to a career. Uh, unfortunately, we're coming to a, to a close of the podcast, um, so. Just, I just kind of want to ask, uh, you know, I know there's a lot, a lot of more stuff in here that we haven't quite got to talk to, talk about yet, unfortunately. Um, but we got to a lot of the meat of, of the book, and, and anyone in the audience is interested in this aspect in their career, or maybe you know, guiding someone else in that kind of career. I do, uh, I do encourage you to check that out. Um, but Sherry, maybe if you can just talk about, uh, you know, what, what, what's next for you, um, are, are you going to be, um, looking at writing any other editions or writing other things or a blog post or any other things? What, what do you have going on, um, here, here next? Well, I taught for the first time this spring, a practicum okay. on cultural diplomacy and international exchange at the School of International Service. So it was my first time to work with second year grad students. Mm. And in lieu of their master's theses, I identified clients for them and they did real world research for them. And I find that very satisfying. And so for me, certainly teaching is part of my encore career. Mm -hmm. Mark and I have plans in the fall to really um, do, there is a working world blog. Okay. And we want to continue the profiling of people who mm -hmm. are doing interesting careers. So we want to take the profile concept that appears in the book and keep going with it. Uh, as part of the blog, I will be going to places as varied as Akron and Albuquerque promoting the book um, at various universities there. Those are invitations that are set and uh, there are dates attached to them. I think um, 
Santa Fe is on the schedule. Albany is on the schedule. I'd, ha I'd have to look. But um, for the first year after a book comes out is when you really have your chance to talk about it. Right. And I really enjoy interacting. I'm always glad to learn about somebody's career history. Mm -hmm. And it does become fodder for the blog. Right. Um, I met an incredible young man on a flight to Minnesota recently, and I wound up blogging about the work he does with the Close-Up Foundation, okay. which is an interesting – that is getting more international, right. um, which is an interesting organization I used to send international visitors to when I was a program officer at the Institute of International Education. So um, I envision uh, hopefully developing an even more nuanced approach to working world. And who knows? I, te I tease Mark. I tell him by the, by the time the third edition comes out, he might be too old to be the young <laughs> professional. We're going to have to find a new young professional. Right. He'll be the mid-career guy. Right. But uh, it's wonderful to have the opportunity to work with him. And I've just been so grateful to be in this field where the people drawn to it are so caring and really – I um, really want to make a difference in this fragile planet of ours. So. Absolutely. So thank you for this opportunity, no, Ryan. This has been great. So everyone, uh, you know, check out um, the Working World's blog. Check out uh, the book, Working World, Careers in International Education, Exchange, and Development, uh, from Sherry uh, Mueller, who joined us today. Thank you very much. And her uh, co-author, uh, Mark Overman. So I encourage everyone to get uh, check out the book. Sherry, I do appreciate it. This has been really great. And uh, for all our listeners, I hope, uh, hope you guys learned something. Thank you. Well, thank you very much.